You know, don't be one of those people. One of those people. What do I mean? Well, the other day I was literally like, you know, I kind of have a temper, kind of don't. (laughs) I'm kind of a dichotomy. Sometimes I get super mad on stupid things, but someone made me so mad the other day. Um, it was someone I was dating and, um, no matter how obvious it was that they were incorrect, they couldn't admit it. Don't be one of those people. Now, what I want to talk about is why have every one of us or why has every one of us been that person? That person that can't say I'm wrong and turn on a dime. Now, before I get into it, let me just say what the punishment is. You know, all of us are so egocentric, myself included, that we forget Newton's third law. For every action, there is an opposite and equal reaction. So as we go about egotistically in life, and some ego is normal, right? You know, some of the ego is consciousness. You as a human have consciousness. You understand you're like, hey, my name is Ty and I'm here in Hollywood today. And at some level, that's ego-based. We've talked about this before, the theory of the mind, right? Which says when you're a little teeny baby, you cry in an airplane and keep everybody awake with your screaming because you don't have the theory of the mind developed. You think you're the center of the universe. So a two-year-old, I was on a plane to Europe the other day. And like little kid, literally two-year-olds is, is screaming. And I had to think, it reminded me of the theory of the mind. I was like, that little two-year-old is not trying to be annoying. That two-year-old is so ego-based at this point in its life that it cannot step back and go, well, I feel like crying because I don't feel very good, but I see people trying to sleep, so let me stop. That is what psychologists say. That theory of the mind is not developed till you're four, five, six years old. For most of us, though, It's never fully developed. And that's why we become, quote unquote, that person, that person that can never say they're wrong. And we forget as we're older that there's tremendous repercussions to this. Even though you can get your way, even though you can be the person that never looks somebody in the eye and says, you're right, I was being a moron. Let me stop. We think we won when we don't do that. But in the end, because of Newton's law, there's an opposite and equal reaction. For some of us, you and I, without knowing it, have lost opportunities because people's reputational understanding, I mean, their understanding of us reputation-wise is like, eh, I was going to offer that person 50% in my new business called Facebook. But, you know, that's the guy that I can't stand being around because whenever he's wrong, he can't just be like, oops, my bad. So maybe Mark Zuckerberg has that story in his brain. I actually read a story where Mark Zuckerberg, he originally went to like four or five people and two or three of them turned him down. They would have owned significant shares. Just remember, if you own 1% of Facebook now, I think Sean Parker or I think Bono from U2 owns whatever, a quarter of a percent of Facebook, it's worth half a billion dollars. Okay, so I guarantee you, Going back to those days when Mark Zuckerberg was thinking of starting Facebook, there was a lot of options of who he wanted to do business together. And I would, I don't think it's too far uh, flung to imagine that one of those 
people was annoying and he decided not to invest in them. That could have been me and you. Look back through your life. The scary thing is the opportunities you missed are not always told to you. People don't always go, ooh, I would have married that person. Ooh, I would have dated that person. Ooh, I would have gone into business with them. Oh, maybe I would have just donated a million bucks to them out of goodness of my heart because I like them. Remember, in the 25 cognitive biases, you know, you have reward, punishment. This, almost the third and fourth highest is liking and disliking. People do business. People are nice. People reciprocate with people they like. And one of the most unlikable features for any human is the inability to say, I am wrong. Now, this has been talked about by different people. I'll tell you my two cents on it. Um, there's an ancient proverb, thousands of years old, which says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. A gentle answer turns away wrath. So, as I said, this girl that I was dating would just would never admit uh, in this, and this was this one specific case, and I'm guilty of this too, but in this one case, it was like the final straw. Just couldn't say, yeah, I was wrong. My bad. Never had heard that proverb, which I just told you. A gentle answer turns away wrath. When someone's screaming at you, you know, I have very few people. I'm an entrepreneur. I control much of my life. Not many people can yell at me, uh, and I just sit there and take it, but I have a business partner who's much more powerful than me, you know, basically a billionaire and uh, more senior to me, understands more. And sometimes he's picked up the phone. I've answered my phone and it's him screaming at me. What are you doing in business? What are you doing? You know, what's going on here? And I've learned. And thank God I remember this proverb. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Sometimes the answer is just, oops, my bad. I found that's one of the best most disarming ways to live life. Now, why is this so hard for us? Because on a scale of one to 10, you know, thousands of people listen to the show. I don't know how many people a day, but a ton. And I could characterize you into like four types of people. All of us, myself included. One is the strong ego person that has to grit their teeth and basically can never say, oops, my bad. You know, number two is kind of, some ego, but it's relatively easy. Number three, not much ego, really, uh, you know, can say, I'm sorry. And then the fourth is, you know, no backbone at all and just walks around going, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Here's the thing. As Aristotle said, wisdom and the good life, he specifically said when he was talking about eudonomia, which is the good life, he specifically said that you... The reason the good life is so hard to find is because it's found in the middle. It's in the middle. Now, don't be confused in this conversation because I'm kind of coming out talking about how you should be quick to say you're sorry. But the flip side of this, okay, is there's some people that are too much pushovers. I can look through my life, even specifically with business partners, where I said sorry, where I shouldn't said have said sorry. And it was a mistake. It's a mistake. So do not take this for me to, do not take this talk, this show for me to, you know, be saying always as carte blanche, just go around, sorry, 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 sorry. I think that this comes back to what I've talked about before. Levels of reality. What's your delusion factor in your life right now? Most people's delusion factor is extremely high. I would say the average person in the United States, and especially in Hollywood specifically, 
I would call it's like a 90% dilution factor. When they look at their physical health, okay, and like when they look at food, they're diluted. Like they eat at McDonald's. I read, I'm reading Fast Food Nation, fascinating book. And uh, the average American eats three fast food burgers a day, uh, a week, and four fries. So the average American, I mean, there's millions of Americans eating once or twice a day at fast food. Think of how high your delusion factor is. What low level of reality, as I talked about, when Joel Salatin, the, you know, he's in Omnivore's Dilemma, they talk about him, he's written 10 books, my first mentor. When he sees a McDonald's burger, because he has insight into where that burger come, came from, he knows that the average burger at McDonald's or Burger King or wherever is amalgamated meat from a hundred different sources that you don't even know where it's from. And, uh, and so he, and he knows it's been injected with all kinds of artificial stuff. He knows that that burger is made, you know, the bun has whatever low quality wheat in it and there's corn syrup and there's high levels of fructose sugar and all this stuff that he sees that burger and goes, that burger's nasty. His level of reality brings an insight and an accuracy to the conversation. So Joel, in that case, when it comes to the good life, which starts with health, he has high levels of reality. So there's a low delusion factor. Most people in the world, extremely high delusion factor. When it comes to wealth, most people's understanding of money, I talk about this in other places, the lottery versus the sculpture, because of media bias, most of them have been sold a, a load of goods that, you know, we're the sucker believing that most people become wealthy by some good idea. I was out with some friends and I, I heard this girl's like, I haven't started a company yet, but I've got a billion dollar idea. The second I hear that, I know her levels of reality, her vision for what it takes to be uh, wealthy and be successful and financial independent is extremely low. She has no idea what she's talking about. Her delusion factor about wealth and what it takes, thinking there's such thing as a billion dollar idea is very low. And when it comes to social interaction, love, the third part of the good life, so many people, once again, they've been sold. Hollywood has done a good job at selling us this idea that you're going to be walking down the street and, you know, you're going to bump shoulders with a guy or a girl, twinkle in the eye, you're going to turn around, fall in love. We know statistically, um, Dr. Helen Fisher, uh, one of the founders of chemistry and advisors for Match.com and one of the preeminent social scientists on the question of love. She wrote the book, Why We Love and stuff. She says that the most successful uh, marriages, romantic relationships are actually childhood friends. It's somebody you knew from fifth grade. So Hollywood doesn't want to tell that story because it's not romantic. So most people, when it comes to love or when it comes to friendships or when it comes to family relations, we're literally been dictated by movies we've seen. That's why if you check out on my site, I've put this new link up called movies where I review, you know, 50 best movies I think you you should watch to make you smarter and to get you what you want, to make you think. And none of them, or I, I try to pick movies that don't have this low level of reality and delusion about how human interaction works. So the reason, going back to what we're talking about today, which is the ego that makes it so hard for a good percentage of us to just say, oops, my bad, and move on, it's because we have low levels of reality about what happens when you say, oops, my bad. For many people, uh, well, I should say for almost everyone, the dominant uh, part of your brain or process or one of the dominant processes is 
the amygdala reaction. There's a part of your brain, it's about center behind your eyes, and it's kind of in the middle of your brain. It's an area called amygdala. It's where you store your fear memories. And what this girl that I got so frustrated, I realized I, you know, when I stepped back and wasn't so angry and was talking to her, I realized why she never says she's sorry. She never says she's sorry because at some point early in her life, there had been a fear, there had been a fear memory created. She had said she was sorry to somebody, shown vulnerability, and that person had taken advantage of the vulnerability. Maybe it was a parent. You know, when a kid, maybe as a little girl, she had said sorry, and the parents were like, I don't care if you're sorry. And so she had built up this fear reaction. Remember, this book, Dr. Molum, in the book Inheritance, the doctor who studies epigenetics and genetics, you can change from one fear or one trauma event at a young age, you can genetically change. We know this now. This is the newest science out. They took identical twins. One of them was was, uh, bullied and one wasn't. And they found at a gene level, at a DNA level, processes were changing around that child who was bullied. They had what was called, I believe it was called dopamine, uh, uh, cortisol suppression issues, which led later in life to have higher levels of uh, depression or more likely to be depressed than alcoholic. So when you're dealing with people, understand almost always the reason cannot that a person cannot say, oops, my bad, I'm sorry, is because it's from a fear reaction. Now, going back to ourselves, think about yourself. One of the big reasons for you and I as well that we have such a hard time saying, oops, my bad, that we have a hard time following a gentle answer turns away wrath is because the same thing. We had some fear experience. So what do scientists say? How do they deal with people who have post-traumatic syndrome, which is really a massive fear uh, amygdala kind of memory. They say you have to create fear annihilation memories, which is in the front of your brain. The MPFC, the medium prefrontal cortex, has the ability to create new memories. So what you have to do in anything, if you're afraid of snakes, if you're afraid of saying you're sorry, if you're afraid of airplanes, one of the best ways to get around it is exposure therapy. Just do it a lot. So I want to challenge you, if you're one of those people, like myself, I'm I'm that natural person that doesn't really like to say they're sorry. I, I've been trained somewhat, so I'm not as bad as I used to be. Now I'm, it's easier for me to say. And the way it got easier is for just, remember I talk about in another show, I talk about experiments. Your life should be a series following the seven-step scientific method that's changed the world so much. One of those is an experimental mode. Go into an experimental mode. If you're one of those people who doesn't say sorry, just say sorry a lot this week. Just try it. What's going to happen is you're going to see nothing really bad happens. Nothing really bad happens. And you'll start storing new fear annihilation memories in a different part of your brain, which will destroy over time. You'll never get rid, they found, of the true fear memories. If you've been thrown off a horse, you'll never truly forget it. You can't, don't try to forget the past completely. You can't completely do it. I mean, you can put it out of your mind somewhat, somewhat out of your consciousness, but it'll still have an effect on you. So more important is creating new memories that are on top of these. Now, some of you listening have no backbone and you always say you're sorry. I want you to do the opposite experiment. I want you when hopefully you have levels of clarity to perception. And when you're in an argument and you realize you're wrong, not wrong, just look the person I say, listen, uh, you know, I thought about it. As far as I can tell, I'm not incorrect. Here's the reason why. And 
I don't want to apologize. I think you should apologize. Like, there's nothing wrong. Flip the tables. You know, one of the things that I've really been developing and working on myself, I read this interesting book uh, by the Spear. It's the story of uh, Alexander the Great. So if you like history, it's, a, it's an interesting book by the Spear. And Alexander the Great, tremendous story of many things. By age 20, uh, he was already out conquering the world. And by he died at like 31 or 32 by 30, or by that, or, you know, early, late 20s, he already had conquered the known world. He was a man who knew how to get what he want. Now, if you're listening to this, I doubt you're a conqueror. You're probably not trying to take over the world. Literally, uh, he was, a, Alexander Great, by the way, was a pretty brutal guy, what he would do. He took, he did, laid siege to the, the city of Tyre, T-Y-R-E, and when he finally, it took him three years, I think, to to get over this 200 foot wall. But when he did, he, you know, crucified 2000 people just to, to warn the people that he was going to attack. So he's a very brutal guy. You can ignore the brutal part. And the principle you can take from it is being aggressive in those areas that you suck in. I mean, I, I, that's a very crass, blunt way to put it, but that's how I'm putting it to myself. So Ty, I want you to go out. I'm telling myself this story. Ty, what are those things you fear? Try to Alexander the Great then. That's what I'm, I've invented a new word. Alexander the Great it. <laughs> Alexander, so let's say your fear is saying you're sorry. Be honest with yourself. You can use feedback analysis like Peter Drucker says. Ask around. Ask your mom if you're not sure. They usually know you the best. Be like, mom, do I have a problem saying I'm sorry? If she says yes, then she's probably right. Or your brothers or something. Family's a good gauge of uh, if you want to get rid of delusion about yourself. So... If you get that feedback, then go, I'm going to Alexander the Great, my fear of saying sorry, and just overdo it for a while. Who cares? No one's going to get bothered. I mean, don't do it for years and years. Don't be the person, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But just try it for a week. Try to create new MPFC, fear annihilation, memories. And I'm oversimplifying, of course, how the brain works. It's not so simple that one part of your brain has all the fear. and We don't know much about the brain. My One of my best friends is a PhD in the brain. One of the top guys was published in, you know, Neuron Magazine and our Cell Magazine or whatever. I can't remember. I think it's Neuron. Most prestigious brain magazine. And he's like, you know what, Ty? After getting a PhD, been in this field 10, 20 years we still don't know much about the brain, but we have general concepts. And one of those is there's a part of your brain that stores fear and it's, it's adaptive. It's purposeful. Like if you burn your hand on a stove at a five-year-old, you learn to never do that again. The lessons learned once and you never have to do it again, but it's a double-edged sword, just like Newton's third law. Uh, the fact that our brain has something that we can learn a lesson really fast and, and then it's stuck with us for life. That's really good in certain areas, but it's really bad if you're a little kid and a dog bites you because then you're afraid of dogs for the rest of your life and you lose out of the experience that you could have as a human of having, you know, man's best friend uh, around you. So remember, you have been robbed and uh, given treasure by your amygdala fear response. So what you have to do to live the good life because we live in a complex world, you have to keep all the good things there in the amygdala, all the fear that should be there, and then the things that shouldn't be there, you need the fear annihilation memories. So one way also that I get over and uh, get over my fears is I go, well, what's the downside of staying in the fear that I have? Tony Robbins is big on this. Like I like Tony Robbins. He has a little bit different 
style than the way I see the world, but I highly respect him. Guy that got me started, uh, helped me when I was, you know, first, uh, getting going and was in a real down place in life. And one of the things that he says, and also this, I think Simon Sinek guy says on Ted talk, the real popular one, you know, it's like, why you got to get to why it's like, why would I want Ty to get rid of my inability to say sorry? And I'm saying it's because of death by faint praise. It's because of the law, Thurton's and uh, Newton's third law. Everything has an opposite reaction. Death by faint praise, by the way, uh, for those of you who don't know what that phrase is, that basically means, you know, if you're a general, my friend is in the general, his dad's a general, a uh, colonel in the army, never became a general. You really never want to stay a colonel. It's kind of low level. You always want to be a general. And I said, you know, why'd your dad always stay there? He said, well, death by faint praise. Probably one day a whole bunch of generals are sitting around. And what you want them to say is, Hey, what do you think of that Bob guy? Oh, he's the best colonel. We should definitely, he's the best colonel in the whole army. We should promote that person. But what they probably did say in actuality is not that big accolades and big praise. They probably said something like, oh yeah, he's a pretty good guy. You see, you never get promoted by just being pretty good. You get promoted by standing out. So death by faint praise means you've been going through your life and you don't even know the opportunities you've missed because of flaws in the style of your personality. I don't know. I mean, I sometimes I it trips my mind out when I sit in a chair and think, let me think. If I had a little bit better personality at different times in my life, if I had been able to be like Casanova, he said you have to have the discipline uh to develop character and at the same time you must have the ability to be a social chameleon not in a bad way but an ability to meet people where they are if you're with a jolly person to be jolly if you're with somebody who needs you know a less aggressive personality then you show the other side of yourself it's the chameleon is knowing how to show different sides of your personality if i had been more socially adept if i had been more socially sophisticated how many more doors would have already opened me? Would I even be in the place I'm in now? Maybe I'd be a hundred years ahead of where I am now. Maybe I'd be a hundred times wealthier. Maybe I'd have a hundred times more physical health, hundred times more love, hundred times more fulfillment and happiness. I guarantee you that you and I go to sleep every night not realizing the opportunities we lost. And what I'm talking about now is a specific trait that you can have, and that's the inability to properly apologize when you should and not apologize when you shouldn't. If you get that wrong, you will lower your likability factor, increase the disliking factor. And since we know humans decide on around 25 cognitive biases and the third or fourth is likability and dislikability, that if you don't get this right, you will rob yourself of massive amounts of a good human experience. Guaranteed. It's common sense. Just think about the person you don't really like that's in the group, but he always, he or she always comes along with the other person. Think of all the opportunities they're missing in life because they're so blind. And remember, as we talk about this, it's hard. It's the Achilles heel. You know, the story of Achilles. He had the armor, everything perfect, but he forgot to protect his heel. And that's where the arrow hits you. So if this is a particular character flaw of yours, style issue, that's where the arrow is going to hit you. That's the thing. That's the scary thing about life. The scary thing, your life is like a chain, right? A chain that you can 
pull up like you're, you're on a boat and you take a chain and you tie that chain to the dock so that when the store comes, your boat is attached to the shore. But if one link on the chain is weak, that's where it will break. And no matter how strong every other part of the chain is, the loss happens. Your boat drifts away and is destroyed in the storm. And in the same way in your life, you have to be constantly examining the mass of it. And you don't have to be a perfectionist. But this specific area, if you ask like a psychologist in terms of marriage counselor, what's one of the biggest flaws in an a marriage, it's when one person is not fair. You see, this is really a sub-conversation about an overarching conversation, which is justice. My grandpa, I have a book. It's called Justice. I forget who it's by. It's by a very famous professor. And one of the uh, Kant, Immanuel Kant, the great philosopher, talked about this in, in his, uh, you know, it's called Kantian Fairness. Okay, you have these imperatives to human behavior, and one of them is justice. If you want to see people get mad, do something unfair. Even strangers, do something unfair. Like, be at a coffee shop, and somebody lets you cut in front of them. You say, hey, I'm really busy. You could do this as an experiment. Be like, hey, I'm really busy. Could I cut in front of you in line? Let's say the person says, sure. Now, have your friend come pretending he doesn't know you, walk in front of you and say, hey, can I cut in line? I'm really in a hurry. And you say, no way, man. I don't ever let anybody cut in line. Then record the face of the person behind you. It's innate to the human personality that we despise injustice. It is. Injustice, and that's throughout history. Whether you read spiritual documents or not, one of the biggest Areas of outrage that when you're reading or when you watch a movie, you know, Hollywood has keyed in on this. They know how to entertain us. They know how to rivet us to our chair when we're watching a movie. They always show some injustice, right? Almost even comedies. I was watching the stupidest comedy, you know, like Think Like a Man 2 or 22 Jump Street. Just these, you know, funny but stupid comedies. I like them sometimes to just let my brain relax. But they always have the injustice where like the... One guy's lying to the girl and then she finds out at the end and she's outraged. Justice is so um, part of the human psyche that you're never going to get rid of it. And the reason that people will get so angry and the reason you'll lose out of so many opportunities when you can't say sorry is because it's unfair. Nothing is more unfair than somebody doing you wrong and not being able to say, oops, my bad. I literally think those three words are some of the most powerful words you can ever have in terms of increasing your social status. Remember, social is important. I just uh, had a very famous guy, Oren Clough, at my house. He wrote the book um, uh, Pitch Anything. He's really revolutionized how people raise capital in Silicon Valley and he's you know, develop a system that people can raise money in their business. Pretty well-known guy. You see him in Inc. magazine all over. And we were just talking and I said, you know, what's the most important thing in being persuasive and being able to sell a company for a lot of money or raise money at the beginning? He said, oh, status, social status. See, and we think about social status oftentimes negatively. It's like, oh, that's somebody that's just, you know, looking for, you know, here in Hollywood, they're just name droppers or there are people who are, just love the camera and blah, 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 they're vain, all that. But no, but some level of status is very important. I want you to have 
the good, the positive social status that you need to get what you want. Remember, we live in a world where we do not grow our own food. We do not uh, weave our own clothing. We do not build our own house. Everything you and I do in the economic system that we live in is an exchange of goods, like for like. It's even a justice equation there, right? If somebody builds you a house and says, I'm going to give you a $200,000 worth of value in terms of the house, they want you to pay them $200,000. And if you don't, you will be hated. Justice. Justice is huge. And the core practical manifestation of justice is saying you're sorry when you should be say sorry. And on the flip side, saying you're wrong. I would like you to apologize. It doesn't have to be in a commanding way, but I like when uh, Chief Tecumseh in this famous poem, you guys often hear me say, he says, respect others in their view and demand that they respect yours. That's the same thing I'm talking about, the same dynamic. Say you're sorry fast when you are wrong and it's clear. There will be times when it's not clear, but when it's clear, say you're sorry fast and demand that people apologize to you when it's correct, uh, when it's the right thing for them to do. And this is, again, how you find the good life. Remember this book that I've talked about, Social by Lieberman, the Harvard professor, uh, professor, the default mechanism of the human brain is social. If you don't have powerful social skills, you have nothing. You will not have health. Health will come from an interchange exchange physically with other people. You cannot be healthy, uh, in a desert, on a desert island <laughs> or the odds are very low. You need an exchange. You can definitely not be wealthy. And there's this huge myth out there about business people that I see kind of pushed that business people at the top are just cutthroat. It's actually not true. There's a great book that I recommend. It's on my, make sure you check out my new book list. And I teach this in my inner circle. I just got off a call with, with, uh, you know, this private mentorship that I do and inner circle people were in it. And I was talking about this, you know, working together, the book by Michael Eisner, the former CEO of Disney, the man who really grew Disney into this. Uh, empire after it kind of started to slide in the 60s and 70s. He came in and revolutionized it. And what did he understand? He says, well, working together, this is the key. And he goes through all the big people, whether it's Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, they had the ability to work together in partnerships with other people. And interesting, uh, there's a, there's a section by Ron, about Ron Howard, who's the famous, you remember him from Happy Days. He was the, forget what character. He was the son in Happy Days and one of the main characters. And he went on and produced all these big movies. And Ron Howard says, you know, Hollywood at the top levels, all the deals are done with handshakes. He said, you would think, you know, there's this myth that people in Hollywood are sketchy and they screw you over and stab you in the back. But I'll tell you this business, the higher you go up the chain, the more handshake deals there are done. Because at that level in a city, small town like Hollywood, all you have is your reputation. And one of those things that you'll need because all humans are fallible to maintain that is the ability to look someone in the eyes and go, oops, my bad. And you're going to have to get over whatever fear reaction you have. And this girl that, you know, I was dating, I just had such a problem with, I could see the fear in her eyes. I have a, a, a guy who works for me, you know, and I've tried to work on it and slowly but surely he's getting better, but I see the fear of saying, I'm sorry. For most of us, 
it's something that happened at five, six, seven years old. I'm not, you know, I'm not a professional psychologist. I'm not going to psychoanalyze everybody here, but I will say I know enough and have read enough and have been around enough, uh, real powerful, uh, uh, psychologists to know that this fear gets built in early. And the only one that loses is you. The fear, I will tell you, when you don't properly say I'm sorry or you say sorry too often, both extremes, what's really happening is you're not understand, you're thinking that the fear is mat, that the uh, repercussions of saying you're sorry will be like 80 units of pain. But what you're forgetting is that by not doing the right thing, you're going to bring indirectly 8,000 units of pain. When you don't see clearly, when you don't see clearly, you don't count the cost properly. You know, I see all these people in the world that are working at a job nine to five and, and as, uh, you know, I think Thoreau says, living lives of quiet desperation, living lives of quiet desperation. And I know why. Well, they have massive fear. They think if I go out and do what I like, if I branch out into a more entrepreneurial understanding of life, what if I can't pay my bills? Well, what if I can't do what? I, in fact, I had a guy that worked for me recently, different guy than I was talking about earlier, who has always been on my payroll. And I said to him, you've been working for me too long. It's time for these wings to be spread and for you to fly. Here, you're the head of this new company. Uh, you know, I'm always buying new companies. I get a tremendous amount of amazing opportunities. I can't find enough good CEOs and managers and partners in these businesses, you know, on a side note, people think there's not opportunity in the world and recession and all this. It's all BS. If you saw the amount of opportunities that come across my desk on a daily basis to make money and I just can't find the people for it, that's the real problem. It's the inner skills of people and the outward skills of people. So this guy that works for me, I said, time to fly. And I can just see it. It's just, and I, and I sat down with him. I said, man, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? Do you think you will starve to death? You're living on prehistoric fears that have passed on to you that are no longer functional, you know, 2,000, uh, 200,000 years ago or a hundred thousand years ago. If you had been told your steady amount of food that comes from this source is going to be taken from you, you, that fear was legitimate. You were in the middle of, you know, the savanna of Africa and a little tribe and village. There was no support. There was no modern agriculture. You might starve to death. So that fear that's innate to the human mind made sense a hundred thousand years ago. But I tell people that are talking about quitting their job. I'm like, what do you think's the worst thing's going to happen to you? You think maybe you and your family will be dead in 12 months because you're going to step out and do that thing you've always dreamed of. Do you think that's really going to happen? Because if you do, you are operating on prehistoric fear, which doesn't even um, work. I mean, doesn't it's not even functional anymore. So, you know, for him, the thought of getting off a set salary, this learned helplessness had built up and it's like, I'm going to be poor. I'm going to be poor. I think the ironic thing is I cut him off the salary and uh, he, he's dating someone and, and at the same time, she just happened to get a job and now she makes a ton of money. So he's not making a ton of money right now because he's in a partnership with me. And so we're building the business. It's in the early stages, but you know what? It worked out. He stepped through the door of, with faith in terms of stepping out and it worked. And I've seen that. Oh, I mean, I've been an entrepreneur since I was I had my last job where I had a paycheck was when I was 16 years old. And I can tell you, it works out okay. 
as long as you follow the rules of success, you know, which I talk about on a lot on these shows, but don't let the fear dominate. Count the cost on the other side. What is the cost? You know, I told my friend this. What's the cost of you being on a set salary? You know, making four or five or six grand a month. Whatever. I don't remember what he was being paid. Maybe more, maybe less. I can't remember. But what's the, what's the cost of just having that much money? And then 30 years from now, looking back and saying, man, I could have lived the dream. But the fear stuck me to my chair. Count the cost on the flip side. That's what I'm saying to you. If you have a hard time saying you're sorry, or on the other side, if you have a hard time saying, I know it's not my fault, it's your fault. If you're one of those people, don't just count the pain, the cost of the pain of changing. Count the cost of not changing. It's immense. A life not well lived. I will tell you, if you're a math freak, do this. What's the marginal value of one year of your life? Just remember, the older you get, in some ways, the marginal uh, value goes up because you're less likely, the older you get, the ne- you're less likely to wake up alive the next day. So what is the value of a year of life, a day of life? I mean, if I said to you, I have a gun and I can take your life away today or I can give you another year, what would you pay for it? And the answer is simple. Everything you have in the bank account. Imagine a robber comes in today. You're sleeping with your family or alone. Not to have a, I'm not meaning to scare you, but let's just, hey, face your fears. I call it Alexander the Great. This is fear. An intruder comes in your house. They pull out a gun. They're like, I know you have access to your bank account, all the money you have. You have two choices. I will shoot you now and your family, or you give me everything you have and you have to start from scratch. Well, we all know the answer to that. Every single human that's ever lived, unless they were literally insane, would give everything they had for life. So that means mathematically, the value of your life is infinite. It's all you have. And that means anything that subtracts from your life, anything that detracts from you living the good life, is so expensive, you can't afford not to change. It's like me saying to you, uh, I'm going to take away your life when I say to you that you have to stop this specific character flaw. It's the injustice of your personality that can't say you're wrong often enough or on the flip side can't say, I'm not wrong, you're wrong, and it's just a pushover. The cost of that is so high that if you fully, if you and I fully understood that cost, we would never do, uh, we would never be afraid to make that change. We would make that change overnight. Just remember, change can happen very fast. Very fast. Okay? There's this myth, uh, I tell the story about my grandma. My grandma was, I don't know, it was like the 50s. And she smoked and my grandpa smoked. And uh, back then, remember, everybody smoked. It was just normal. You just smoked. Smoking was the thing humans did. And uh, she said she read somewhere that smoking... They may have found a link between smoking and like lung cancer and dying early, premature death. And my grandma said 
she did the math in her head and she said, that was the last day I ever smoked. She just stopped. My grandpa on the other side, who was very intelligent, scientist, all this, he was stubborn. And he was like, no, the science isn't really in. There's not enough there. Well, my grandma was better at counting the cost. She said, what's the value that I uh, receive from smoking a cigarette? She valued it at, let's say, 10 units. And she said, what's the value of death? Infinity. Premature death. Infinity. So she said, what are the odds that this scientific article is correct? I don't know. 10%. So she said, what's 10% of affinity? Well, it's a heck of a lot larger number than the reward she got from smoking. So she just stopped. You know, uh, the... Uh, Again, I'm not very religious, but I grew up Christian. So I, and at one point in my life, I like memorized the New Testament. And there's a thing where Jesus Christ said, I don't care if we're religious or not. This is wise words. He said, count the cost, count the cost. So what I'm asking you in this show today, have you counted the cost of injustices in your personality? Because humans hate injustice socially. You will lose out on opportunity. And if you value your life at all, you don't want to miss out on opportunity. Like Charlie Munker's grandfather said, grandson, opportunities that come to you will be few. It's a rare life that's absolutely bathed in opportunity all the way. It's another thing, myth we've been sold where we inaccurately count the cost of life because we always think Hollywood sold us the dream. There's always another opportunity around the corner. But you know what? I'm here to tell you and tell myself and remind myself. The opportunity isn't always around the corner. Read the story. There's not always redemption in this life. I was reading Carl Karcher. He's the uh, guy who started Carl's Jr. And they bought Hardee's later and one of the first fast food people. And he became one of the wealthiest men in America. And then he made some mistakes. He he personally uh, guaranteed some large real estate deals. And I think now he's like 80 years old. And instead of being one of the wealthiest people in the world, he has he's $2 million in debt still to this day, trying to pay off past debts from 30, 40, 50 years ago. Now, I'm not saying he hasn't lived a great life or whatever, but I'm saying there's not always redemption. Mistakes are costly. Missed opportunities are costly. If I could go back in life and have... Just one superpower? I've thought about it. You know, Warren Buffett and Bill Gates said if they could have one superpower, the superpower they want would be uh, to uh, have the ability to read faster than anyone in the world. But I thought about it and I was like, you know what? I would want the chance to step back, to be a fly on the wall and to see the opportunities that I never got to see in life and not miss them. Like I know that there was some dinner table, dinner I was at with 40 people and there was one quiet person because I've seen this. A lot of times the billionaire in the room is like the quietest. Just I have, it's funny. I have these parties at my house. This girl was like, oh, I came to your party and like I saw some drunk people. There was no one good there. And I was thinking there was like 20 of the most powerful people in the world walking around my living room, but they were quiet. You know, she might have been paying attention to the person who was loud and boisterous, the one person, and sit, and missed out on all the opportunities. I see that over and over. So if I had that ability to be a fly on a wall, to see where I was at the dinner table, and there was some immensely important person that I, I that could have taught me something, or partnered with me, or off, you know, gone into business with me, but yet 
my personality, maybe some injustice in my personality. Maybe I was cutting people off when I should have been listening socially. And they were like, oh, this guy, this Thai guy is kind of a moron. And they just, it's death by fame praise. Or maybe they're like, yeah, he's an okay guy. Sometimes he's cool. Sometimes he's annoying. If I could count up those opportunities, first of all, it, it would probably send me into a tailspin. I'd probably be depressed for a month. I'm sure I would be. All of us would be. But of course, not all depression's bad. Some depression is adaptive. It's functional. It teaches us. Don't do that again. But most of us aren't depressed because we don't see what could have happened. You know, uh, one of the trippiest theories about the universe is Stephen Hawking. It's called many world theories. These guys think that all instances and all possibilities and permutations of the universe is happening in an alternate millions and billions and trillions of alternate universes. So for us, the only way for me to know what opportunities I really missed would be for me to be able to live two lives simultaneously in another world and this one, and then me step back and examine them both and be like, okay, so at that table, I didn't talk as much. And this one, I was a blabber, you know, it was a loud mouth. Okay. Which one got me the better life? Oh, okay. Being a more, you know, uh, more elegant in how I talk, being more sophisticated in my personality, not being such a loudmouth made me an extra $20 million in my life. See, if I had that superpower, it could be on that, that fly in the wall and then have the ability, because just being the fly in the wall would help you. You would then not do it because you'd be able to count the cost. You'd go, holy crap, in this alternate universe, I see where I went on to become, you know, whatever, live the greatest life ever to get all my dreams come true just from that one dinner table because life is a, is a series of little catalysts that lead to the next one. If you unraveled the good things in my life, the successes, they were little things. My, my mom and stepdad read a book called, uh, pastured poultry profits, how to, uh, how to raise, make $25,000 a year on 10 acres in six months. It was a book by Joel Salatin. And then we lived on this little farm and my stepdad said, let's go visit Joel Salton. And then I was up there with Joel Salton and I was 17 years old. And he, I must've said something that was good. Cause he was like, you're interesting. Why don't you come be my, uh, in my, my first apprentice in my internship program. And that led to this. And then I met Alan Nation, my second, you know, person you know, I learned from a mentor and he led me this, this, this is, and it's like that butterfly effect. Everything, the, the, the flapping of a butterfly's wings in, Sumatra or, you know, Indonesia cause a hurricane to hit the Florida coast. Little things lead to big things. So since we can't know that, there's no way to do that. I mean, I was giving you this hypothetical superpower. Since we don't know, then we got to just play the odds. That's why everybody should learn to play some games of chance, whether it's backgammon, that's one I like, or poker for many people. Successful people usually play games of chance because what life is really like, it's not about certainty. You can't have certainty. I can't tell you for certainty that if you say you're sorry when you should, that your life will really get better. But I can tell you it's a better hand of poker to play. I can't tell you if you have three aces, you'll always win. But it's a pretty good hand to double down on and bet on. In the same way, I can't guarantee you that knowing how to have social justice and say you're wrong when you're wrong and not wrong uh, and and call other people's out when they need to uh, call other people out when they need to be called out. I can't guarantee you you will always win with that. But what other hand do you want to play? 
you know, I teach, I, I'll be coming out with the 67 steps, the new version. I'm always coming out with new versions and this new version is pretty cool. Um, make sure you check it out on my site. You'll see there's a link. If you go to tylopez.com, you can see the 67 steps. It's, you know, use them for whatever you want. 67 steps to become a millionaire, 67 steps to become an entrepreneur, 67 steps to get in shape, to lose 30 pounds, to change the world, to eradicate poverty, to whatever your thing is, whatever your dream. I've put it down all the th- writings. I've, you know, I've read thousands of books, been mentored by some of the great people on the earth right now. Luckily for me, you know, lucky enough to have that and to continually have a flow here in Hollywood of some of the most fascinating, intelligent, wise, experienced people in the world come through and make friends with them. And I put it all, everything I've learned from those great people and some of my own life experience in the 67 steps. And one of those, um, things, you know, as I'm talking about this, well, really this whole thing is about the 67, you know, this whole conversation show today is, is a part of this 67 steps. And, uh, uh, when I was talking about this kind of butterfly effect, I talk about this opportunity cost. That is so hard for us as humans. Charlie Munger talks about one of the hardest things for him to teach in investing is opportunity costs because we can only see straight line. We're only like, well, I invested in this real estate. I put a million in and I made two million. It was a good investment. But he says, but compared to what? Compared to what? So the reason you and I get stuck in the patterns we're in, let's say you're in a pattern of you just don't really like saying you're sorry. The reason is, is because you don't understand the opportunity cost, what you could be getting of doing something else. It's very hard. You know, in physics, they talk about anthropic principles. If you don't know what that is, I'm not going to talk about it. It's a con, you know, it's a Stephen Hawking level concept, but it's the same kind of thing. It's related to this not seeing the other side. Very hard. It takes in a refined mind. You know, one of the reasons I'm so big on reading more and the reason I read a book a day and I, you know, I've got, Millions of people following this stuff, not because I'm so great, but because I'm pointing you to people extremely powerful. And if you look, there's a consistent pattern of having the ability to have the correct social patterns. Don't believe the myth. When you get to the top, people have better social skills. They really do. The mid-level people don't. The people that are, you know, the managers of the companies and only make a hundred grand a year, those people are oftentimes uh, a-holes. You might have had a boss that was annoying, but I'm telling you, if you get to the top, to get to the top, people are nicer at the top. If you want to get to the top of whatever you want, with some of you it's business, some of you it's not. Social skills. Practice them. Like the saying goes, who is faithful with a little will be faithful in a lot. If you have the ability in every scenario to know when you should, like Aristotle, to find the mean, to find the balance. Because I'm going to kind of talk about this towards here at the end. It's vital that you not be too much of a pushover too. Because in my experimenting, I've kind of gone too far at certain times in life. Recently, I had a call with some uh, investors. And I, in the past, I've just kind of been like, yeah, you guys are right. You Even when I really didn't think. And this time I was like, you know, one of them was like, that's ridiculous. And I, I just said, look, I'm going to be respectful about this. But it's not ridiculous. And... What are you talking about? I called them out when they needed to be called out. They had made a mistake and they would not admit it for years. You know, we had made a business decision as a group. It was a partnership. And I was the control. I had the most shares in the business, but I they could outvote me, all of them, and they didn't. 
And so we made a business decision and they're, you know, they were like, well, that's on you. And I'm like, wait a second. I don't own a hundred percent of this company. I'll take my share. I was in hindsight. We should have, and the truth of that actual situation is I had suggested that we go down path B and they all were like, no, go down path A. And I listened to them. So the real truth of the matter is like, let me remind you, my initial advice was the correct path. We should go down path B. But I will take responsibility because I was the CEO of the company that I listened to you guys and I went to path A. I should have stuck to my guns. But I told them, don't be too quick to point fingers. It's unjust that you guys that pushed your way, uh, when you got your way, then you blame it back on me. I said, listen, I'm going to take my share and you're going to take yours. Remember what I told you about Chief Tecumseh? He said, respect others in their view and demand that they respect yours. And in the same way, give others that the I'm sorry that they deserve. But when it's their turn, you say, I'm going to look you in the eye. I said, I'm sorry. You say you're sorry too. Now, I will say, in an actual social setting, the best it's not best to say, I'm sorry, and then make them 10 seconds later say they're sorry too. That that kind of makes your apology seem disingenuous and you know not real. But... You know my point. For those of you who are pushovers, stop. You are rewiring your brain around fear to accept injustice. You will have low levels of happiness uh, when you are not able to cope with injustice. One of the reasons, you know, I recommended in my book thing, uh, in the movies link on my site, this new Nelson Mandela movie that came out. And when you watch that movie, The Injustice, I think he spent 28 years in a prison for basically fighting for the rights that we all know were it's a just cause that he was fighting for. And it appalls us. And remember, that happens on a micro level, too. It happens on a day-to-day basis. Be the person, and I recommend the simplest practical thing to take from this call is a gentle answer turns away wrath. Just say, oops, my bad. There's this comedian, I was at Laugh Factory, and he was talking about bar fights where guys get in fights with each other. And he said, just start screaming like a girl. He said, nobody will hit somebody screaming like a girl. Now, that's not exactly what I'm saying here, but there is a certain sense. The second you get the aha moment in your brain, like, oops, they're probably right. I was fighting the wrong cause. Just be like, oops, my bad. And just watch people's faces. That's why I say Be aggressive against that fear that you have. And on the other side, if you've always said, I'm sorry when you shouldn't have, just watch what happens when you do the right thing. It's not as painful as you thought. People will look up to you. You know, in in the the book, Michael Jordan, The Life by Roland Lazenby, this book that I love, if you like sports at all and you want to study the best, I mean, Michael Jordan, even if you don't like sports, but there's a scene where uh, um, Steve Kerr, who was this not very athletic basketball guy gets traded to the Chicago Bulls. He's playing against Michael Jordan in practice. And Michael Jordan was hard-nosed guy. I mean, he was mean to people that weren't good. He wanted you off the team and he would work. And at one point, he started elbowing uh, Steve Kerr. And Steve Kerr elbowed him back. And next thing you know, Michael Jordan took a swing. Now, remember, at this point, Michael Jordan is the most famous person in the world. Steve Kerr was a nobody. Just he could... Michael Jordan could call the office and say, I want this guy out and your career is over with the Chicago Bulls. But when Michael Jordan elbowed him in the face, he elbowed Michael Jordan right back. 
When Michael Jordan took a swing, he took a swing right back. And they separated the players, and Michael Jordan stormed out of practice and went home. And Steve Kerr, Phil Jackson's like, you got to leave, man. You go home and, you know, we'll try to sort this out. I'll try to talk to Jordan. And he said, the good news about Jordan, Jordan called Steve Kerr, and he said, you know what? I apologize. Michael Jordan, on top of the world, he said, I, I, you know, I was too aggressive on you. I was bumping you in practice in the game and you swung back. That's not your fault. And, and Michael Jordan and Steve Kerr said for the rest of our career, and he, they went on to win multiple NBA championship, basketball championship. Michael Jordan always respected Steve Kerr. So demand people respect you when you're right. Just make sure that you have true levels of accuracy and you're on the correct uh, plane of reality and you're not delusional because if you have lot high levels of fear, uh, you will trick yourself into thinking you're right. You'll try to make an excuse. Here's a simple rule of thumb. If you have to think on your side long and hard to come up with a reason, if you have to use a lot of words as to why you are right, if you know if there was a large room of people who were unbiased observers, you'd have to spend 10 minutes explaining why you're right and why they're wrong. That probably means you're wrong. Usually when you're right, you don't need much explanation. For example, you know, you're like, meet me at this restaurant at nine for a business deal. And, you know, you tell the guy and he gets there at nine and you get there at 945. And when you walk in, you don't apologize. Well, now this, of course, is a stupid example, but I'm just arguing ad absurdum to show you. You would have to use a lot of words to explain why you weren't there. Well, I got stuck in traffic and then my wife and then done. I got a flat tire. And, I, and the other guy would just be able to say, we agreed to be there at nine. So generally, whoever has to use the least amount of words to prove themselves to a third party, imagine an unbiased judge came in, never met either of you, didn't care about the outcome. They walk into the room and they're just like, why are you guys arguing? And one guy said, we agree that we'd be here at nine and he didn't show up and I did. And then you're on the other side going, well, your honor, I, uh, I did agree that I'd be on time. But the reason I wasn't there is, well, you know, one time this guy was late and, uh, also, you know, man, LA traffic, it's crazy. I was on the 101 and it was just backed up. And then, you know, I really, I was so, uh, kind of didn't have energy. I stopped at Starbucks. See, you're using too many words. So it probably means you're wrong. So in life, that's not always true, but it's a good litmus test to get away from your delusion because you and I are delusional about stuff. Trust me. I am. And I guarantee you, you are too. Our brain, that especially that fear and put it this way. People come back from wars where they have too much trauma, post-traumatic syndrome and or they have trauma when they're young, people literally can become schizophrenic. That means where you split, your brain splits your personality and you imagine, you know, you're Garfield the cat or something. Your brain deals with too much fear by creating massive delusions. We all know that. We all know that friend where you're just like, what planet are they in? You know, when it comes to a certain subject, you can just see their eyes glaze over and they become like a robot. It's that animal reaction. So, Practical to take away from this. This is going to, I know this sounds like a common sense show, but this show has more nuances than you think if you really listen to the repercussions of what I'm saying. The potential opportunities that can, you can no longer waste by being socially adept 
whether it be friends, family, business partners, acquaintances, get honed in on, oops, my bad, or, hey, hold on now. You said you were going to do this and you didn't do it. Is that true? You need to be able to do both sides and you need to have the wisdom and the clarity of mind and the be on the level of the plane of reality to know when each should be used. So, uh, kind of, you know, it, one thing to add on to this. And let me add this. The, those of you, I've been getting a lot of people reaching out in the inner circle. I've got these two levels on my site that I talk about this specifically in the context of business and growing your business. The one side of this is, uh, you know, I have this, um, kind of VIP mentorship thing. Um, that's for those of you who are, cause I'm getting some confusion. The inner circle is from higher level people. Okay. And I, I'm not talking about who's a better person. If you have a business that's already has some momentum, you're already making six figures or seven figures. You're already making a couple hundred grand or making a million bucks or more. The inner circle is what you should apply to when you go to my site, tylopez.com. If you're starting out or just, you know, kind of building the business, you should go into the private VIP mentorship that I have little bit different. So I just want to say that because I'm getting a lot of people every day, just a ton. And sometimes people are going in the wrong thing. So um, this 67 steps though, check it out. I've got a new thing. I'm recording 67 videos on the 67 steps, 67 audios. It won't be that, by the way, my philosophy on giving stuff away for free versus charging. Uh, Joel Salatin told me, you know, give lots of samples. All the podcasts I obviously do for free, I give away. I don't know how many shows I've recorded. I'm going to end up with a thousand hours of free stuff. But the specific specific stuff around like building a business, become an entrepreneur, you'll notice I don't put the nitty gritty practical stuff because um, we built that into a system, uh, a premium system on my site. Now, some people go, why don't you give that away for free? Well, I've learned, like Joel Salatin had said, it's catch 22. You know, it's interesting. I do... Uh, consulting things. I've got ones. I'm, I'm actually rolling out a consulting package for big corporations. I charge a million dollars a year to consult. I, I, you know, now I do a couple hundred thousand dollars. I charge for a year, 200 grand. And it's interesting. I also have experimented with like for people who can't afford, I'll do like a thousand dollar consulting or a hundred dollar. I've tried all a dollar. I've tried everything. And what's interesting is just like Jesus Christ said, where your money is there, your heart is also. So the reason I don't give away everything for free, and I'm unapologetic if that pisses some people off, honestly, I don't care. People who get mad when people charge for good stuff don't understand economics 101. Economics is exchange. It should always be an exchange. So I like to have this, you know, this show, for example, is free because I like the conversation. I get an exchange. If I'm getting so, I say I try to answer all my Twitter, but I'm getting now so many tweets. I can't always apologize if I missed a few of you. I try to answer. It takes me an hour or two every day to answer. You know, I'm getting hundreds and hundreds of people a day, but it's cool. So it's an exchange. The business stuff, if you want to learn specifically on how to grow business and specifically, I've got, we've got some different stuff. Uh, that's premium stuff on the site, but put it this way. You get 10 times the value. I just had somebody go into the inner circle and the first week, and it's a year long program. It's like, I already got all my value. Everything I needed for my business is the first week. Thank you. I'm actually, I'll have that up as a testimonial. I'm going to get him to do a video saying that, but, uh, uh, check out the 67 steps because I've got a new thing you'll see on my site. It's pretty cool. It's, um, uh, the way that I set it up. 
So check out the 67 videos. If you want to know something that will revolutionize your life, these shows are good. I talk on a lot of broad subjects, but the 67 steps is literally the most powerful. Everybody who works for me, all employees, all business partners, all people I go and show them the 67 steps. And it's part of a, uh, you know, it's, it's, I don't care if you make a million bucks a month. I have people at that level in it and I have people making zero dollars a month. So check out the 67 steps. By the way, email me on my site is, is the best way. If you want to talk to me, I actually spend an hour a day replying. I leave audio memos back to you one-on-one. If you go to tylopez.com, when you put your email in to join the book, book of the day club, uh, you'll get a free welcome message on the site. So when you, it'll auto log you into tylopez.com and there's a link that says inbox. You can just reply to me. I check that. It's really not my assistance. Some of my mail I have to get my assistance, but if you want to talk to me directly, and that's free and stuff, so you can talk to me there. So I like hearing. I get a lot of feedback. You can do at my Twitter, Ty Lopez, uh, YouTube. I'm putting up videos that I only put certain places. Some audios there won't even be on the podcast. Answer me this question if you're after listening to this. Which one are you? Somebody who never has a very hard time apologizing or somebody who over apologizes when they shouldn't. And what's the solution? You can send that to me in the inbox. You can send it at Twitter. If you're listening to podcasts, do me one favor. It helps me grow this podcast. I don't advertise it. Um, but I want to grow grassroots. Share, leave me a review and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, that's the algorithm that Apple uses to help boost the rank, ranking. So give me a, a review. You can leave your answer to my question. Which are you? Somebody who is quick to say, oops, my bad, too quick, or somebody that has a hard time saying it. So talk to you soon. Check out Ty Lopez. That's the best place. TyLopez.com. Get on the book of the day. Uh, I read books and I, I don't always send the emails every single day, but I send them as often as I can. Quickest way to read a book a day is have someone else summarize it. I summarize it for you and uh, share what I've learned. So, and check out my new book list. If you click on the book list, you'll see what I think are the hundred most important books for you to own and uh, read. It's not volume of books, even though I like to read a book a day. More important is quality. I'd rather you read the same hundred books over and over than read one book a day, new one. There's not that many good books out there. There's 130 million books. Most of them are garbage. So check out that. Also have a movie list. I'm starting to review movies, movies that are in theaters now and also past ones that I think are important. So uh, I hope this has been helpful and I will talk to you soon.